So let's let's use Papa John's as an example of this. Um, so at the beginning of July, Papa John's founder, who I didn't realize was named John, but that makes sense, right? Yeah. It's John Schnat, Schnat, Schnatter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So he resigns as chair after apologizing for using the N-word uh, during a conference call. Um, this, so this is what happens. Um, we're, the, the, the negative social behavior, you know, really is leading to literal empire crashes. And I did see that, um, uh, the John Schnatter, uh, tried to bring Kanye West into the fight and anytime I'm not sure how well that goes. I've not seen that play out very often positively, I would say, right? No. Deflection by Kanye. That's it's no, one I don't, tactic. I don't think it That was Damian Rollis, the ying to my yang. And he and I talked last July about Papa John's founder, John Schnatter, using a racial epithet in a conference call. You'll be happy to know the Kanye says it's okay defense didn't work out for Papa John. But this story was one of literally dozens in 2018. Damien pulled story after story throughout the year about how executive behavior was taking down executives and their investors over and over and over again. And whether it was social media movements like Me Too or uncovered fraud or just pressure from a culture built more and more on outrage, it would be easy to say that all of these factors were driving change. But the real change, as an investor, might not actually be any of these things. It might be you. Because investors today, they don't want to be on the wrong side of a viral movement. They want to know, what can we do to avoid having the next Papa John in our portfolio? And in 2019, we might be realizing that's the wrong question entirely. Hello, and welcome to ESG Now, the MSCI ESG podcast. I'm your host, Matt Muscardi. And on today's show, from Les Moonves to Carlos Ghosn to Papa John Schnatter, investors aren't waiting anymore to find out which corporate leader could be next. And we covered this as part of our 2019 ESG Trends to Watch paper this year. It feels like today, corporate leaders don't have any place to hide from questionable, illegal, or immoral behavior. And we're going to cover that in our show today. We're going to cover it in two ways. First, why the question, how could we have known, might actually be the wrong one. And second, if you're an investor, how the influence you have might be the key to avoiding the worst of a leadership crisis. The number one question we got after the news of Harvey Weinstein broke was, who's next? In ESG, we have all this data, data on people and places and resources and risks and controversies. Our clients, huge institutional investors, they were asking, what could we have known and when could we have known it? And this question, we actually tried to answer it. And we started by asking 
an arguably stupider question. Is this behavior even new? I don't actually think this is new. Um, I think the real change is that companies are now facing um, this, this, this cocktail, this really very potent cocktail that mixes um, hyper-transparency with higher expectations from society about what's actually okay behavior. And I think that makes corporate leaders um, you know, somewhat vulnerable, right? That was Linda Elling Lee, the head of ESG Research, on a webinar we did in January. And she points out two things. First, as much as I'd like to believe that leaders of the past were covered in top hats and monocles and courteous bowing, the reality is this behavior has probably always existed. And second, if it's not the behavior that's new, the reaction to it certainly is. There's just no place for leaders to hide anymore between WikiLeaks and smartphones and this new set of societal expectations. But if the behavior isn't new, then maybe it might be predictable? Uh, I, that's, you know, it's a tough question because if it, if it was, you know, directly predictable, I would have hoped that we would have predicted it, right? Well, yeah. There were hope. But, right. But... You know, there are always warning signs. No, wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. I, I want to be clear here because these warning signs that Damien's talking about, they don't necessarily mean predictable. But these warning signs are something we started looking for. And Zanel Mitchali, one of our senior corporate governance geniuses, said a good place to start was actually not with company leadership. It was actually looking past company leadership. I don't think it's necessarily just at the CEO level. You've got to look at the company in general. How To me, it's part of the risk management process, right? It's like how, because let's say even if you have sort of junior staff that are accused of this sort of thing, if the processes around it are not working properly, then it's a risk for the company. So to me, it's, it's not even at a CEO level. You've got to start looking. You've just got to start making sure that these sort of processes are being like any other risk, right? So... What is the risk of somebody junior defrauds the company? How are those processes being managed to make sure that those kind of incidents are caught out? This is just, to me, just another part of that whole sort of thing, because it is all comes down to sort of personal conduct, right? And while the last 20 years has seen companies widely adopt things like anti-discrimination or anti-harassment or whistleblower policies, the data of what a company actually does on the inside, that still just doesn't exist at least not widely. So while there are some warning signs we might find, maybe it's not warning signs we should be looking for. Maybe it's something much easier we should be answering. What are the, what's the potential for engagement? You know, can I have an influence? Um, you know, if you're talking about a company where there's a controlling shareholder and you're not happy with the direction that they're going in, then, then you need to divest from that company because you have very little hope of your engagement efforts bearing fruit. Um, they're in control. They have the vote. Um, they have the ear of the board. Um, and they're not really particularly interested in, um, in what you have to say. Those dulcet tones belong to Rick Marshall, or as I think of him, 
my governance happy place. And Rick said something right at the beginning that was key for me. He talked about investor influence. I'll give you a concrete example. Last year, the founder of JD.com was arrested in Minnesota on charges of rape. And if you were an investor in JD.com, I'm sure you would have liked nothing better than to fire the CEO, Richard Liu, and move on. But see, the way JD.com structured itself, if you wanted to remove the CEO, you needed a board quorum to vote on it. And according to the bylaws, a quorum couldn't be reached without the chair present. The chair, who, by the way, happened to be the CEO, and the CEO, who, by the way, happened to be sitting in prison in Minnesota. And I know jails in the U.S. give you a free phone call, but my guess is Richard Liu didn't use his call to get a board quorum to vote himself out of his company. And that's what Rick's talking about here. There are some companies investors just have no way to influence. And you'll never guess the exact moment when investors really want to be able to influence change at a company. Yeah, it's when something goes terribly wrong. So, you know, investors are, I think, finding out that in some cases, there is actually very little that they can actually do to get a speedy response when a company is facing a scandal. Um, and I think the obstacle they're facing, um, it's, a, it's a people problem. You know, it's not the CEO who everyone knows and it's the headlines. It's, it's the people sitting on the boards who are not in the news, um, who are sometimes an obstacle um, to getting change. So some of the boards are stacked with directors um, whose interests are not aligned with shareholders. Uh, they were appointed by CEO chairs uh, sometimes well over a decade ago. Um, they may have some relationships with the company that create conflicts of interest. Um, you know, something that kind of floored me was, you know, at, at CBS, you know, I think one of the directors reportedly said in response to a CEO facing sexual misconduct allegations, you know, quote, I don't care if 30 more women come forward and allege this kind of stuff. Uh, Les is our leader and it wouldn't change my opinion of him, end quote. So this director um, had at the time been on the board for about a dozen years. And, um, and that's actually below the average for how long directors have been sitting on that board, which was closer to 14 years. So, it, you know, it, it's, it's chummy, you know, sometimes on, on those boards. So I want to give you a number here built off of what Linda was talking about. A number to remember someday when you're talking to your friend in a bar about investor influence, which sidebar, obviously that's what you do. If you invested in a company in 2015 that had an entrenched board or dual class shares or some other structure that made it hard to influence, we'll think of these companies as along for the ride companies. And at the same time, you invested in a company you really could influence with like single class shares or independent boards. These would be do what I say companies. And let's say something happened to both of them at the same time, like a JD.com something or a Papa John something. Over the next three years, your along for the ride company would be three times less likely to replace its CEO than your do-what-I-say company. And to add insult to injury, the majority of the board at your along-for-the-ride company 
was actually unlikely to lose its job, even as you're busy voting out the board in your do-as-I-say company. And depending on the company, it can actually get worse than that, like much worse. Yeah, I mean, here's one thing, though, and this is the thing that I keep thinking about. And and I'll, I'll use an example of a story where where the CEO stepped down, not for any kind of you know nefarious, uh, crazy headlines, but so the Gilead Sciences CEO John Milligan stepped down after 28 years with the company. So you know clearly he had a good run, um, and it says here in the article that that Milligan will remain in his current position through the end of the year, quote, while the company's board conducts a search for his successor. End quote. So, so after 28 years, uh, the company still had no actual succession plan in place. Didn't know who to replace him with. So, I think this is going to be the key, the key focus here going forward. I, I think succession planning, you know, especially not just for the executive, but for the whole company. I mean, you know empire succession or, or whatever you want to call it this is going to be the most important thing going forward because companies have got to have some kind of plan in place to end to stop the bleeding of these crazy stories so what do we know we know that probably since the dawn of companies corporate leaders can be unethical we know that while unethical behavior might have gone unnoticed or ignored for a long time today that's totally changed. And we know that predicting who is likely to be unethical isn't exactly a science, at least from the outside. And you know what else we know? We know that there can be one big thing separating investors in an age of leadership crisis and transparency. Influence. The ability to ask the right questions and use influence before a scandal hits, whether it's questions about the board or about succession planning or internal controls, it could just separate investors avoiding fallout from those who have to ride it. And P.S. You and I aren't the only ones who know this. Some of the biggest pension funds in the world today, including the California Public Employees Retirement System, CalPERS, and Norgis, and New York State, NICERS, they announced in 2019 that they were going to target more diverse, more independent boards. So even if investors are forced to wait for the next incident of fraud or the next empire to fall, at least they can make the changes they want instead of going along for the ride. That's our show. Thanks for joining us. I want to thank Rick Marshall, Zanel Mitchali, Damian Rollis, and Linda Ellingly for their expert sound clips throughout this process. And I want to thank Rick, Megan Eastman, and Mike DeCebedo for your sage counsel. If you want to read more or see some hard data, on this topic, leadership crisis, transparency, investor influence, check out our 2019 ESG Trends to Watch paper. It's on MSCI.com. We wrote a length about this topic. If you like what you heard, subscribe, rate, comment. We want your feedback and look out for more content. We had a technical snafu for our last weekly, but look for it now in your subscription. I'm your host, Matt Muscardi, and this 
was ESG Now. There's only one director at CBS that is under the age of 63 years old. Do you, do you think the rest of the board looks at that guy and they're like, oh, what a young tyke. He's using like, one, <laughs> yeah. of, one of those newfangled phony magizmos. Yeah, he's like a he's like a, a a young buck lawyer riding in on a, a hoverboard with a beanie on and <laughs> Sony Walkman. Yeah. And he's got a mohawk and visible tattoos, and he calls everybody yeah, bra. Keeps talking about the Karate Kid. Yeah, it's it's crazy. The MSCI ESG Research Podcast is provided by MSCI Inc.'s subsidiary, MSCI ESG Research LLC, a registered investment advisor under the Investment Advisors Act of 1940. And this recording and data mentioned herein has not been submitted to nor received approval from the United States Securities and Exchange Commission or any other regulatory body. The analysis discussed should not be taken as an indication or guarantee of any future performance, analysis, forecast, or prediction. The information contained in this recording is not for reproduction in whole or in part without prior written permission from MSCI ESG Research. None of the discussion or analysis put forth in this recording constitutes an offer to buy or sell or a promotion or recommendation of any security, financial instrument, or product or trading strategy. Further, none of the information is intended to constitute investment advice or recommendation to make or refrain from making any kind of investment decision and may not be relied on as such. The information provided here is as is, and the user of the information assumes the entire risk of any use it may make or permit to be made of the information. Thank you.